I'm so glad to be here today. I thank the church for inviting me to preach on this first day after, first Sunday after. Um, Barbara and I have been a part of you for 17 years now. Uh, you've meant a great deal to us. It's always a pleasure to bring God's word. We have, because of you, traveled to Ukraine and participated in mission. And because of you, I have traveled to India in order to do mission, and I feel a part of you. And today we find ourselves, well, before I get into that, though, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke 12. And we will read verses 13 through 21. Jesus had been speaking, and someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who sent me to be a judge or an arbiter over you? And then he said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a certain rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, this is what I will do. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. And if you pay attention to that last line and to the title of the sermon, you will kind of have an idea of where we're going to go today. We find ourselves here at McLean in one more darn transition. Today we find ourselves in this vulnerable and interesting intersection of life. And I don't mean the general election year with all of its vitriol. I refer to us more personally, our life here in the church at McLean. Brad and his family have departed for Texas and vacated the place of leadership as senior pastor. At the same time, we are here today celebrating the wonderful 20-year ministry of Ray White as Minister of Music. We have the transient and the stability at the same time. Each time that I have preached here at McLean, I have chosen to admonish 
us all to realize and to appreciate the excellence of our music ministry and the musical standard which he has established for our church. But today I'm not going to do that simply because I don't need to. I know that you do realize and that you do appreciate all that he has done and is doing from the installation of a grand pipe organ to being open to the great gift God has given to us and Sue Young as a companyist. Now, in the face of Ray's longevity and Brad's departure, we are dealing with this strange and vulnerable space, a mixture of loss and its uncertainty and the tenure of Ray and its stability. It is an occasion of one more darn transition. And so I want to suggest to you today one of Ray's beloved sayings. It comes from St. Augustine, the great thinker and, and leader within the Christian church in the 4th and 5th century. And I want to suggest to all of us that it can serve as the North Star as uh, we seek our way through this time of transition. The time when, once again, we go looking for a senior pastor. The word from Augustine is, Sing hallelujah and keep on marching. And as we begin this march, we can really be thankful that we have Megan and Katie on staff as ministers. They, like Ray, are stable, caring, insightful, and smart. Aren't they? Where's Katie? I, I, I've got I've got to tell you something this minister did for me in the last hour and a half. I'm walking on a new knee. Five weeks ago, I had a whole new knee stuck in my left leg. It's doing wonderful, I'm glad to say, but it swells on me. And after the first service, it felt like a basketball. So I said, Katie, huh, is there some place I can just sit down and put my leg up? She said, Yeah. And she led me to a room downstairs, quiet. And then, you know, she brought me a bag of ice. Now, that's what I call ministry in a time of need. What? <laughs> you know basketball. Yeah. She coached basketball. Well, I believe that we can see that this time of translation, transition is going to be one that is filled with hope. The Old Testament gives us a direction. You know, there are many names for God in the Old Testament, each of which describes a certain aspect. The one I'm thinking of today is, and I particularly like, is Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Jireh, which means God provides. Always has, always will. 
He provides what is needed. His gifts are generous. And what God will provide for us in this time. He has prepared us for this season, this time and space of transition. I know this. It calls in my mind a recollection of another time of transition. For 17 years ago, I retired from a 35-year tenure as senior pastor of Westwood Baptist Church in West Springfield. For me, it was a vulnerable and interesting time, and of course, also for the church. I had been its only pastor, and it had been the only church I pastored after graduating with my PhD degree. It was still a mission when I came, and we organized, and then we grew, and we developed to a strong, resilient, mission-focused church. And for me, it became a home. It became a place in which I was known. It was almost like one of my children. And then came the time when I knew it was time for me to retire. As a part of that last service, I asked my daughter to sing some special music. Now, you have heard her sing here, so you have an idea of what that sounds like. She selected a gospel song with a syncopated beat. I had never heard it before, but I have never forgotten it since. I really had hoped that she'd be able to be here and sing it today for us, but that just did not work out. It goes in part. I'm not going to sing, don't worry. He never failed me. He never failed me yet. I will sing of his mercy. Every day, every hour, he gives me power. Trust and never doubt. He will always bring you out. He never failed me. He never failed me yet. The music itself is soaring. The message of the words are inspiring. And these 17 years later, the reality, the strength of this song's declaration resonates within my bones. It buoys my spirit through the storms and darkness of life and its uncertainties. And it is a message for our church at McLean today. In this confidence, we can say, sing hallelujah and keep on marching. Let us keep marching to the drumbeat of our Lord. In the gospel scripture today, we find him beating out a cadence for us, calling us to avoid the snares of the values of this world. As Jesus was teaching one day, a man in the crowd listening to him a man like any one of us came up to him and asked him for help and said, Teacher, please go to my brother and tell him to divide the inheritance of our family with me. He's just like any one of us when we find ourselves 
unable to accomplish something we think is appropriate and necessary. In the midst of our struggle, we go to God and say, please help me, work this out for me. He wanted Jesus to tell his brother to do something that he didn't feel he could do. Now, on his part, that really was not a good move that day. You know that. And Jesus warns him and all who listen, this is not what he's about. He talks about the destructive power of greed, and then he weaves for us a parable, always a parable Jesus gives us. Mind you, he doesn't give us a moral lesson. That's not what a parable is. That's not what it's about. They're not little moral stories for us to learn a truth that we apply to our lives. What parables are is always a call for us to hear something that touches us and requires a decision on our part and then for us to take action. Now, a little parenthesis here along that line. Allow me to make a comment about the nature and character of our Bible. The Bible, which I take as God's inspired word, is a document of redemption history given to us to reveal to us who God is and who we are. A long time ago, back, I think it was 1970, if I'm correct, I was given a wonderful gift by a lecturer at the Princeton Theological Summer Institute. James Sanders, renowned professor of Old Testament, then teaching at Union Theological Seminary in New York, was talking about scripture and its inspiration. The gift he gave me was taking a cloud of thought and understanding and sense something I was aware of, but never was able to bring it together and express it. And he put it in one clear, simple phrase that allowed me to say, yes, that's what I've been trying to get to and say. Wonderful gift. Those kind of things are some of the best gifts I get. And what he said was, The Bible is not so much a book giving models for morality as it is giving to us mirrors for identity. Yes. Immediately, I recognize the truth of that and the power behind it. Often when we read the Bible, we can get dull and boring. It's usually when we're approaching it like it was a manual of truths for us to master and copy. That's not what the Bible is. Try reading it and find the living vitality as it gives us a mirror in which we can see ourselves in a way we've not seen ourselves before and reveals God to us. Do not look to the Bible to give us models for morality, but receive joyously the mirror it gives us for our own identity. And that's the work that parables do. 
So Jesus declares that your real life is not about how much you possess. He tells us that a person's life is not for the piling up of possessions. And there's nothing wrong with possessions. But don't think that's the purpose of life. Then he tells about this rich man who was very successful, so successful that he needed to expand his base of operation. He couldn't take in everything he got, so he said, ha, ah, I'm going to tear down everything I've got. I'm going to mill bigger and better. It's going to be huge. And Jesus had to say, that's really not what life is about. Again, let me pause. Let me ask you, how would you want to summarize your life? What three words would you like etched into the headstone of your grave? Pick three words that you want to be able to say, this is who I am. What would they be? We have many to choose from. There's not only one or two that's right. Recently, there was a wildly popular book that offered three, eat, pray, love. I'm sure there are those of you here who have read it. In the last 14 years, I've had a personal trainer who retired last week and on his last day wore a shirt reading, Live, Love, Train. What three words would you choose for yourself? You know what the man in Jesus' parable chose, don't you? We read it. Eat, drink, and be merry. And you know what Jesus said about him. And so it is for all of us who are not rich toward God. So what does being rich toward God look like? What makes us rich toward God? I believe that all of us have some idea of what this is. Hopefully, what we think makes us rich toward God has changed and grown as we have matured. Because we are constantly on the pilgrimage of developing. And we see life from a different perspective. Paul gives us three words in his soaring treatise on love. Now abides three things. Faith, hope, love. Micah in the Old Testament, that prophet sums up being rich toward God in saying, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. What three words do you want to choose for yourself? 
What do you see in the mirror of Scripture for you? In more detail, our Scripture today gives us from Paul's letter to the Colossians a richness toward God in which he says, now clothe yourself in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, which certainly does not mean weakness. It really means strength under control. That's what meekness is. Forgiving one another. Clothe ourselves with love which binds everything together. And Paul concludes by calling us to live with gratitude in our hearts and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and do everything you do in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what being rich toward God looks like. And how we get there is not by what we do. We get there by what is done to us and for us. We may fail, but God prevails. We know God not by trying to please him from afar. We really come to know God by participating in him. We get there by surrender, by falling into something bigger than ourselves, much bigger, much deeper, something beyond us. What it looks like? Loving enemies, caring for the powerless, overlooking personal offenses, and there we arrive not by achievement, but contrary to all common sense, we get there by surrender. Always remember, you can write it on the doorpost of your heart. God does not love us because we are good. God loves us because God is good. And we can sing hallelujah and keep on marching. And I think that is the call to McLean Baptist in this new season of transition. May God bless us all and may God bless our church here. Amen? Amen. Amen.